couple of weeks ago, Brahm and Kerry, uh, just as they were praying, were telling a testimony of some of the freedom that they've walked into. And I felt God lead me or remind me of a scripture out of Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, which says this, that they overcome, they being us people, overcome him being the devil, the enemy, by the blood of the Lamb, which we know to be Jesus' death and his resurrection, the blood that he gave in order that we may stand forgiven, and the word of their testimony. And the word of their testimony. And in that moment at our prayer meeting, I felt the Spirit of God just say, actually, I think there's a, a season where we can build on the back of testimonies, where we can release the word of testimonies of people who have encountered this living God, who have found their lives come under His saving and redemptive hand. And then we're able to start taking their victory, as we did the Springboks yesterday, to be our victory. And even as we see something in others, we're able to start to say, hey, well, if God can do that for them, surely He can do that for us, and we can start a journey. And so that's the series we're in. Uh, Brahman Kerry spoke last week around pornography and finding freedom uh, from the addiction of pornography, and I encourage you to go and listen to that if you have not yet. And this is Karen, and uh, I've known her since school days. Uh, which was longer ago than I would care to, uh, to remember. But she has an incredible testimony. It takes great courage to stand up and say some of the things that she's going to say. But this is what I want us to do. As she speaks, don't just listen to Karen's story and go, wow, God, you're great for Karen's story. Try to identify those areas of her story that you can connect with that go, hey, that resonates with me. Maybe your drug of choice, maybe your addiction, maybe your leaning may not be where Karen landed up, but she's going to explain some things, and so look for the commonalities as you start to take your journey to freedom in Christ. All yours. Thanks, Rich. Um, I have a new respect for pastors today. after today. I can tell you that it's quite intense getting up here and sharing your heart three times on a Sunday, so I just want to thank you guys for what you do. Um, it's awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah, for those who don't know me, my name's Karen. I'm a part of this church. I'm a member of, I'm on staff at Anthem Recovery, and I'm a member of the Project Exodus team. I'm glad we got to sing the Project Exodus theme song today, Waymaker, Miracle Worker. <laughs> I'm also grateful to be five years in recovery from addiction to cocaine. <laughs> There's a whole recovery, like, posse over here. That's why this is so loud. <laughs> yeah, I'll the crowd. Um, yeah, so I'm five years in recovery from yeah, addiction to cocaine and methamphetamine. Thankful to be on a path of healing and restoration after 12 years of dependence, self-destruction, and damage to all of those around me. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to share some of my experience with you today. I pray that my testimony will move someone here in a positive direction. The word testimony means statement of evidence. In this context, proof of God's power, grace, goodness, and love. Those who knew me before or who are familiar with the formidable force of addiction will know that my standing here today is evidence enough of God's authority over any form of oppression. Isaiah 43 says, Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. This scripture has been a central part of my recovery. 
It's a perfect description of God's intervention and continued hand in my life. Addiction is a wasteland, far removed from God's original design for our lives. For me to live there was to exist in a perpetual state of chaos and senselessness, a downward spiraling cycle of loss. Materially, but more significantly in terms of decency, morality, integrity, purpose, self-respect, and sanity, all of which I kept giving away until there was nothing left. Romans 1 speaks about the giving over of our souls, the establishment of a depraved mind, in which our thinking becomes futile and foolish. My addiction acquainted me well with depravity, insanity, and darkness. Through it, I came to know madness, isolation, psychosis, self-harm, abortion, prostitution, emotional trauma, and physical abuse. I share this not to be frightening, but to illustrate just how far addiction can take anyone and how mighty God is to save. When we're in slavery, we no longer have the privilege of freedom of choice. This is why we are compelled to do the same thing over and over again, even when we know we shouldn't or we don't really want to. When we're in slavery, authority in our own lives has been relinquished. In relation to our drug of choice, we are powerless. I was powerless. Central to the slavery of addiction is a set of extremely warped, entrenched beliefs. For many years, I perceived using to be critical to my survival. I genuinely believed that my drug of choice gave me capabilities that I couldn't manufacture on my own. Motivation, confidence, boldness, capacity, comfort, acceptance, relief from discomfort, and anxiety. No one sets out to make drug addiction their future. Addiction doesn't begin with addiction. Amongst other things, I believe it originates in, out of a God-shaped hole that needs to be filled. It begins in those moments of first contact when we fatally perceive substance use or some other form of self-medicating behavior to be a solution to this problem, a way to fill or deny the void. This process began to unfold for me in adolescence, gathering real momentum in my early 20s. As a teen, I didn't develop healthy coping skills and laid down a number of seriously flawed beliefs about myself and the world. Into adulthood, I carried many intense, overwhelming and unprocessed feelings, low self-esteem, social anxiety, self-pity, self-doubt, poor decision-making skills, an immature identity, rebellious spirit, and a lack of spiritual connection. When I encountered cocaine for the first time as an adult, it presented as an easy way to momentarily escape my struggles. This made it exceptionally alluring and intoxicating. Although intellectually I knew that drugs were bad, my instinctual drive towards survival, towards freeing myself from struggle, trumped rationality every single time. Of course, in the early days, I also believed that addiction would never happen to me. Don't we all? But addiction is progressive, insidious, it creeps up on one. Over time, and in the absence of a relationship with God, my drug of choice was what I came to rely upon idolize, submit to. When I substituted the rightful place of the creator with something created, I opened the door for strongholds to multiply. Thanks. <laughs> Although an addiction like mine 
is, clear, is a clear and obvious example of slavery, I think that when we stop to consider it, we will all be able to identify oppression in our lives. Beliefs that keep us bound. Things of this world that we have come to rely upon in a toxic way. That rob us of our capacity to walk into full potential. Understandably, the use of narcotics may be difficult to relate to for many of you here today. If we as the church are genuine about leading pe broken people to life, it's critical that we try and understand and empathize with each other. That we seek out the similarities between us rather than the differences. So after all of this, how did I come to be standing here today? Definitely not on my own strength. As we've seen, addiction really has little to do with a specific substance or behavior. It is about what we're trying to achieve through the use of that substance. It's about how we perceive, what we believe to be true, where we think we found our rest. This is why sustainable recovery requires a radical renewing of the mind, heart, and spirit. When I was furthest from God, I had praying parents who stood in the gap for me. They were here in the earlier service. It was really quite significant to have them here. I believe it was their consistent petitioning that eventually landed me in a Christ-based rehabilitation center in 2014. I'd come to the end of myself, and they knew my only hope was in Jesus. <laughs> Prior to this, I'd been in several treatment facilities and tried to sustain recovery other ways, but with no long-term success. Why? Because if nothing changes, nothing changes. I went through phases of sobriety where things changed on the outside for a while, but on the inside, in my soul, everything stayed the same. Untangling my deeply woven web of self-lies was something I couldn't manage on my own. But the Holy Spirit was about to do a new thing in me in that place. What I experienced there was a new culture a different way of life that I had long been separated from, a community which prioritized God and his principles, a sense of peace and purity that was beautiful and powerful. I felt like I could breathe for the first time in decades. One of the first things I observed was the transformational power of Christ in others. I didn't understand it, but I could see it and I could feel it. Those who chose to follow Jesus changed in a profound way. They came back to life. They were made new. Those who resisted continued to struggle. In the light of this, with faith like a mustard seed, I began to surrender my hardened heart in little bits at a time to give God's way a chance. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. One by one, the scales began to fall from my eyes and I began to rise from my slumber. What I read in the Word began to make sense. On the 21st of June, 2015, I was baptized as a believer in the ocean on Ramsgate Beach. <laughs> this is the best, best choice I've ever made, one that has forever altered the trajectory of my life and is fundamentally changing me from the inside out. I know without a shadow of a doubt that this change I've experienced is a result of God's work in me. I know this because of all the times I failed to achieve the same change on my own strength. In my weakness, his strength is perfected. Hosea 2.25, 
promises us that God will restore the years the locust has eaten. For me, this doesn't mean I will physically get back what was lost. The money squandered, career disgraced, friendships broken, and significant milestones with family missed. I cannot relive the births of my nieces and nephew, or be present for my sister as she prepares for a wedding. What I believe it does mean is that God is able to give me back my rightful inheritance in the kingdom, restore me to my full potential right now, in the present, to a potential as whole as if those years had been fruitful. Out of an impossibly bleak situation, God has breathed new life and purpose. He has made a way for me where there was literally none. <laughs> Opportunities to not only flourish, not only survive, but also flourish. My blessings in recovery have been abundant. He's put pivotal people in my life that have nurtured me, believed in me, and seen me the way God sees me. As I walk this road, I'm more and more astounded by just how deep and wide God's love is for me. He continues to awaken aspects of myself that I thought were lost forever, making me stronger, bolder, more complete. What is so beautiful about God is that he is able to turn any and all situations around for the good, no matter how irreconcilable they may seem. When we reach for him, he is there, able to redeem and restore us, to use whatever senselessness, sin, and pain we've been living in for a positive purpose. Although all things may not be good, God can and will use all things for good if we let him. Today I'm grateful to be able to use my experiences for a positive purpose, to help others breathe again. This is not to say that the process has been easy or simple. Recovery is a journey which doesn't happen all at once. It is an ongoing, evolving process of change over time. There's been much to grieve, to let go of, and a lot to learn. Shame and remorse to battle, relationships to rebuild, self-worth to grow, and a new character to develop. This takes perseverance and patience. It requires me to take responsibility, to use wisely the freedom of choice that has been returned to me, and to keep putting my trust in God's secure plans for my future. I'm confident that he will complete in me the work he has begun. Thanks for letting me share. <laughs> One of the things that we are praying for and trusting for when we release these testimonies in a moment like this is that God would begin a work in you that he would be able to take to completion. We can't cover a subject like addiction in a 30-minute message. But we do know that the Spirit of God is alive and active and is working inside each of us if we will allow him. 
I'm, I'm going to share some thoughts around some scriptures, and, uh, and just what, my, my goal is this, that what I'm about to say is not the main story. What I'm about to say comes to supplement the Jesus that Karen has encountered. And so please don't think that Karen was speaking as an intro to what I'm about to say, but rather what I'm about to say is what can anchor in your hearts the revelation of this Jesus Christ that Karen has been able to stand and give testimony to. And that's what we're trusting for this evening. Alexander the Great. You heard of him? Alexander the Great. You may not know exactly uh, where he fits into history, so I'll tell you, it was kind of like 330 BC. And uh, you might not know exactly what he did outside of being a ruler. Well, this is what happened over the course of his days. He became the ruler of the entire ancient known world, from Greece to India. A pretty sharp leader. He died when he was 32. He had accomplished all of that by that age. We also know from history that his death was most likely tied to alcoholism. We know that he killed one of his army generals in a drunken rage. And we know that he sponsored a drinking party where 41 people died because of, to, due to alcohol poisoning. The likely scenario is he died as his life gave way to the addiction that was alcohol. Here was a man revered in history as one of the great leaders because of his military strategy and genius who controlled the known world and yet couldn't control himself. This is the story of so many people, even possibly sitting in this auditorium, where to the external eye, to our social media platforms, we look like we've got everything in control. We have great jobs. Our family looks like the model piece. And yet internally, we have succumbed to addiction which has control over us. Part of this series is that we may come to know the victory that is ours in Jesus. And as we take hold of Him, that we can start to take steps to come into the life that He has intended for us to live. Anthem, if you, have come in early, if you come in early, you'll see on our screen here, we have Anthem leading people to life. It's one of the things that we feel that God has called us to because Jesus came that we may have life and have it to the full. And as we try to model Jesus, we believe that that's what we do. And so every time we stand up here and preach on a Sunday, I'm trying to lead you into greater levels of life. As Karen stands up here, she's trying to lead you to greater levels of life. And then collectively as Anthem, we're based in the cities that we can lead others to life. That's the beauty of what we do. It's the mission. It's the call. And that's what we want to do. Addiction is one of these highly complex things. I'm going to read a statement here. Addiction is biological, it's neurochemical, it's psychological, it's physiological, it's emotional and relational and spiritual, it's genetic and it's epigenetic, and it's incredibly complicated. This is what you need to know. That regardless of what has a grip on you, Jesus is able to come and undo that 
and set you on a path to freedom and wholeness and life as he intended it to be. You are not alone. You are not suffering anything that is unique only to you. It may be different to me, but there are others that are able to help as we walk with Jesus. We're going to turn to Romans chapter 7, verse 15 to 19, and I think this is an incredibly encouraging passage, but you have to have your wits about you as I read it. You'll see why now. Romans chapter 7, 15 to 19. I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. This is an ancient tongue twister. In summary, this is what Paul is saying. Paul, who wrote to the Roman church, is saying, I don't do what I want to do, and I do do what I don't want to do. As Karen was saying, no one sets out to make addiction their life choice. Intellectually, she could understand that this is not a path that she wanted to go along. And yet there comes a moment where we cross a line of that thing which we have control over to that thing controlling us. We heard last week from Kerry as she taught us out of James chapter 1, this thing of actually in our sinful natures, in our desire, in our flesh, we have desire, and that desire gives birth to sin. And as we take hold of that, as we start to live in that sin, it becomes death, the very thing that controls us. And as Karen has again uh, revealed to us tonight, your particular uh, outworking of that God-shaped hole inside of you may not be cocaine. It may not be narcotics. It may be something as socially acceptable as Facebook. What do you reach out for in the morning when you wake up? Do you open your eyes and say, thank you, God, for this new day? Or do you reach for the social media platform and see if you've got 10 likes overnight? What has control over you? Paul writes this, and I want to tell you why I find this an encouraging passage, because Paul wrote half the New Testament. So God, seemed, uh, God deemed Paul fit to write half the New Testament that we are to turn to, to point us to Jesus and something of the patterns of life. And Paul says, I don't do what I want to do, and I do do what I shouldn't be doing. And if Paul can't do it, we can either have the lens of what am I supposed to do if the guy that writes half the New Testament can't get it right? Woe is me. Or we can go, if God can use him, then he can use me too. And the reason that I read it in the letter, the, re the reason that I read it in the positive sense is because, because Paul, before he met Jesus, was a guy named Saul. And his responsibility was to put people who followed the way... The way was the term given to those that followed Jesus before we became called Christ, before we were called Christians. Those who followed the way, he put them to death and he put them into prison. And we read this in Acts chapter 22, verse 4. He says, I persecuted the followers of the way. 
hounding some to death and arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. In verse 20, he says, When the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then he has this moment where he encounters Jesus, and Jesus says to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul's going, I don't even know who you are. And we've got to understand that when we come under persecution, it's very personal to God. But Saul has this encounter, and he gets renamed Paul, who writes half the New Testament, and I think sometimes we miss this. If you have approved of people being put to death for their beliefs, and then you come to know a different way, do not think that you are not susceptible to trauma and stress and flashbacks. It would be highly unlikely if Paul did not suffer from post-traumatic stress. And yet he had to come to grips with that And realize that actually in Jesus Christ, there is now no condemnation for those that are in him. And he was able to release his past to take hold of his future. But let's not think that Paul was so distant from our story and some unbelievable, ethereal, godly man that we can never attain to. He was every bit as wicked and oppressed as we find ourselves outside of Jesus. Romans chapter 7 carries on, and I love what Paul has to say because he's kind of now said, well, I do do what I don't want to do, and I don't do what I do want to do, and that kind of leaves us feeling, all right, well, I'm in that story, now what? He goes on and he says in verse 24 of Romans chapter 7, oh, what a miserable person I am. Who's done some things where you've gone, I knew I shouldn't have done that. I know that's not what I wanted to do, and yet I ended up doing it. Who's done that before? And you go home and you lie on your bed at night and you are feeling guilty and you're going, oh, what a miserable, how could I have done that? Paul understood this. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Who will free me from this life of sin and death? Those that are maybe standing on the side of not yet being controlled by something. Maybe you still feel you're in control. You kind of think, sin and death? Where does that come in? But those that stand on the other side of knowing that they are controlled by something, you know that this is a matter of life and death, not a matter of right and wrong. This is a matter of life and death. Paul understood that. And all of us standing in this room stand somewhere on that journey, even those of us that know Jesus. We stand either in this position of this God-sized, this God-shaped hole, Is that the words you used? This God-shaped hole. And maybe we know Jesus, but there's still a part of us which is not yet renewed, come under the renewing uh, work of the Spirit of God. And there's activity, and we we do what we don't want to do, and we still feel like we have control of it, but we're one step away from that having control over us. And then there are also some in this room who are controlled by certain things. They've already crossed that line. But this message applies to all of us because we all find ourselves in that battle. But then Paul goes on in verse 25, just one verse later, and he says this, Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. This series is based on the scripture, Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, which says, They have overcome him. We have overcome the works of the enemy 
by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Paul was able to say, but thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Karen stood up here and said, how did she get to stand in this place? It surely wasn't through her own strength. She could not untangle the mess that had become her life. It required Jesus Christ to come in. I want to help us just theologically uh, take root to, to anchor something of the experience that you've seen in Karen. When Jesus started his ministry, he opened up to Isaiah chapter 61. And this is what Isaiah 61 says. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and to set at liberty those who are bruised. This is what Jesus came to do. And I don't know if you've ever thought about what did Jesus accomplish on the cross? What happened between him dying on the cross and him being raised to life? What took place in those hours over those couple of days? So the Bible doesn't say too much about it, but we really have to search it out. And in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 8, it says this, When he, Jesus, ascended on high, he took many captives. The King James Version says he led captivity captive. Okay, so you're kind of going, Rich, I'm not quite following you. We are form part of the broader Protestant church, which is based on the Apostles' Creed, which is basically a statement or a doctrine of faith. And the Apostles' Creed interpreted this scripture this way, that Jesus descended into hell to set captives free. He descended into hell to set captives free. Okay, you may not still be following me, it's okay. What it means is this, that when Jesus died and was raised to life, it wasn't just heaven invading earth, it was heaven invading hell. It wasn't just heaven invading earth, it was heaven invading hell, which means this, that Jesus can invade your hell that you are currently experiencing to set you free. It also puts into context the scripture. Many of you have heard the scripture which says uh, Jesus, uh, Peter has a revelation and, and Jesus says to him, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. We've, we've heard of that scripture. If you've been in church for any length of time, Jesus says, upon this rock, upon the revelation of Jesus Christ, upon the revelation of by his blood, we are set free. The gates of hell will not prevail. And most often what we do is when we understand that or when we read that text, we kind of think hell is pressing against us and we're kind of going and we're trying to not go backwards and hell is not going to prevail against us. It's the wrong way to view the scripture. What it means is Jesus has gone before us and he's gone and plundered hell and he's ripped the gates off of their hinges and he's gone to set the captives free, which actually means those of us who are in Christ, we're able to go and plunder hell alongside of him. And so therefore that thing that resides in our heart, that thing resides, that resides in your heart and mind, I'm able to come and plunder it by the preaching of the word and by the life that is in Christ. We are not victims, and hell is not pressing against us, friends. In Christ, we are able to plunder it, because Christ has gone before us to lead the captives free. If you are captive here tonight, will you allow the Lord of hosts, far greater than Alexander the Great, it is Jesus the Great, will you allow him to conquer your hearts, to conquer that piece of you that you're trying to, that's maybe just entangled in a wrong belief, And that's causing you to look 
to other people or to other substances or to other things for affirmation and to try and fill that gap and that piece of you. God wants to invade your hell and proclaim freedom to us. I want to speak to us a little bit about conviction and condemnation because Paul carries on writing. And so now we know that he says, I do what I don't want to do. I don't do what I do want to do. Oh, what a miserable man. Who's going to set me free? Thank you, Jesus. And now what? So many of us have come to know Jesus, but we still live under the weight of that of our past. How was Paul able to write all of this? A man who had watched as he had put men to death, as he had separated families and put some into prison and left some kids without a dad. How do you live with, your, how do you live with yourself? How do you cope with the, the shame that sits upon you? And he carried on writing, and we read it in Romans chapter 8, because he says, therefore, therefore always is because of what's gone before, now this. I do what I don't want to do. I don't do what I do want to do. Miserable man, how am I going to get set free? Ah, Jesus Christ. Therefore, Romans chapter 8, 1, to, uh, 1 and 2. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. What does that, ma- that mean? I'm going to give us a very practical uh, example. I'm going to give two statements for what uh, conviction is and what condemnation is. And as we build into it, uh, this, is, this is why it's important, friends. Because for us to have a correct theology, sometimes we hang on Jesus coming in and kind of setting us free and then everything just comes right. I, I want to remind us of the story of Israel. God set Israel free from Egypt in one day. But then it took 40 years to get Egypt out of Israel. And so Jesus comes and he breaks the entanglement. He cuts the knot. He comes and does these things. But then there is a journey to walk as we walk with the Spirit of God and the renewing of our minds and we repair relationships and we repair the beliefs that we have believed for so long as lies and we put them into right standing with God and we see ourselves in the way that God sees us. It takes time to do that. But if we do not understand the difference between conviction and condemnation, many people cannot live in that freedom because we're still bound to that which we have lived in the past. And so conviction is this. Conviction is the guilt we feel when we have unconfessed sin. Condemnation is the guilt we feel over confessed sin. I'm just going to quickly give us a little example so we can understand Conviction being the guilt we feel for unconfessed sin. This is what happens. When our body uh, is sore, if we've injured ourselves, uh, it will throb. You, like your, your body starts throbbing, your knee, your fingers, whatever you've hurt, or you get sick. And you've got to give attention to that. And so you go to a doctor, and you say, hey, doc, I'm feeling this. And the doctor's, okay, great. I can start a healing process. I can start to fix you. And that's what conviction is. Conviction is the Spirit of God going, bringing a throb inside of you that kind of goes, hey, something's out of line here. And it's hidden and it's in the darkness. You need to bring it out to the great healer. And as you bring it out, as you confess that thing to the great healer, so you can begin your healing work. What condemnation is, is I've already brought that and I'm on this healing journey and now the enemy is sitting and he keeps reminding us of all the stuff we've done. And putting all our emotional energy on that which has passed. 
And therefore, we cannot take hold of the greater future which Jesus has for us. See, conviction is a good thing by the Spirit of God. People often say, oh, well, if you feel guilty, it's not of God. I don't know that that's completely true. I think sometimes there are things hidden in our lives that need to be exposed. And guilt over those things is a Spirit of God conviction. But I absolutely believe the scripture that says there is now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. If your life has been given to Jesus and you've confessed your sin and you've brought that before him and he started a healing work inside of you and he has set you free, but now it's the 40-year journey of getting all of that stuff out of you as he renews your mind, then you cannot allow the enemy to start uh, keeping you under shame, keeping you under guilt for that which you have said sorry for. The enemy just wants to keep accusing you and accusing you and accusing you. And he wants to keep calling you by the stuff that you've done. Murderer. Drug taker. Woman abuser. Etc. Etc. I want to remind you today how God sees you. You're the image of the almighty God. You're the apple of God's eye. You are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, prepared for you in advance. You are an overcomer. You are more than a conqueror. And your name isn't even your name. In Revelation, we see that there is a new name for us, written in the Lamb's Book of Life. I want to ask you this question. Do you even know what your new name, your name that your Father in Heaven would want to call you? Saul, he renamed Many times in the scriptures, we see a renaming. For Solomon, God had a word, had a name for Solomon called Jedediah, the beloved of God. What is your name? Have you ever lain on your father's chest, on your heavenly father's chest, and allowed him to whisper your new name to you? See, friends, we need to understand, we need to see ourselves rightly and not believe the lies of the enemy that would want to dictate to you that you are this and this and this and this and that's what you are and that's what you were and that's what you still are. We get set free in Christ. As I close, I want to remind you of what God is doing right now. It says in the Scriptures that the Spirit of God is interceding for us with groans that we cannot understand. And so you need to know, friends, that the Spirit of God is busy praying for you. Right now, he's busy praying for you. And then as though that was still not enough, he's tag-teaming with Jesus. Because the scriptures also say that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, forever living to intercede for us. Intercede is the word that's used for praying for us, praying for people, praying for you and me. And so the Father really has no choice because two of the three Godhead are busy interceding for us. The Spirit of God and Jesus and a loving Father are desperate to see you come into the life that He has designed for you. He is not standing there pointing His finger and saying, what will you think of next? He is saying, will you come home? Let me fill that gap in your life that you're trying to fill with narcotics, that you're trying to fill with likes on social media, that you're trying to fill in the gambling halls, that you're trying to fill with filthy pictures, that you're trying to fill in other ways. Will you allow me to come in and fill that gap? Friends, today, 
we can't cover everything. But you are able to take a step. And even if it's a small step, I want to encourage you and tell you that it will be a giant leap in the words of Neil Armstrong. One small step for you, one giant leap towards your life in God forevermore. But it does take courage. And it takes transitioning trust. Trust from yourself into this Jesus, the blood of the Lamb that we have heard about through the word of Karen's testimony. And if we can put our trust into Jesus, so we're able to start to walk into freedom. And friends, this is not a, if you don't know Christ thing, every human is susceptible. Every human is susceptible. Even Paul, who knew Christ, could write, I do the things I don't want to do, and I don't do the things I do want to do. If him, also us. Can we stand together? It is Jesus Christ who sets us free, friends. And the starting point for him setting us free is by saying yes to him. Many of us have said yes to Jesus. But there may be some of you who have not yet put your trust in him. And so if you are here this evening and you have never put your trust in Jesus Christ, you have never transferred trust in doing things your own way and trust in other things to help you get by, Tonight, I would encourage you to say yes to Jesus, the one who plundered hell, the one who plundered is able to plunder your hell in order to lift you up to freedom. And if you're here this evening and you want to say, Rich, I've never put my trust in Jesus, but tonight I want to do that. I'm going to ask you with courage to stick up your hand. I want to pray with you. We want to pray with you. Is there anyone in the building that would say yes to Jesus for the first time this evening? Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Thank you. Jesus, you are good. Jesus, we want to thank you that your love for us meant that you could not sit by in heaven watching us make decision after decision, leading us down a life, leading a life towards destruction. We thank you that you came, that you gave your life, you shed your blood in order that what was due us, you took upon yourself, that we may walk free. And so for these two people that have raised their hands with such courage, we want to thank you that today marks the beginning of a life that has changed destiny and altered course. That they may stand in the, in, in the throne room of heaven one day and stand there because of you, Jesus. I thank you that today they stand forgiven. I thank you that today there is now no condemnation for anything that has taken place before this very moment. I thank you that today they are set free because there is no condemnation in Jesus Christ. We thank you, Jesus.
we thank you that there is forgiveness in your name. We thank you, Spirit of God, that you come. And as we say yes to Jesus, so Spirit of God, you come. And we read in Ephesians chapter 1 that you come and you guarantee the inheritance which is due us. You come and reside and you take root and you come, you come to renew minds and outwork the very life that you created them and their mother's womb for. And so would you unlock the gifts that reside in them? Would you lead them into a fuller life because of the decision they've made today? We thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus. You're here this evening and you find yourself in a position where you've crossed that line and you find yourself echoing Paul's words of what I don't want to do, I do. Where you found yourself coming under slavery where you don't get to dictate the terms of your life. It is Jesus who sets us free. And if you are here tonight and you want to, whether you know Jesus, or actually now if you know Jesus, and you want to say, I, I want to, I need help. I need Jesus to come and set me free. I need the blood of the Lamb to come set me free. And then I need to join a group of people who can help me. I can be set free from the slavery of Egypt as Israel was in one day, but it will take 40 years to get Egypt out of me. If you're here tonight and want to take a step towards freedom from the, the things that you have become enslaved to, I'd ask you to raise your hands. I want to pray with you. Thank you. Thank you. There we go. Thank you. Number of hands going up. Thank you. Thank you. Spirit of God, we thank you that you are interceding for us alongside Jesus. We thank you, Jesus, that you came and plundered hell. And as you plundered hell, so you're able to plunder the very depths of the darkness of our spirits and souls and minds. And you're able to lift us up, lead us out of captivity into wholeness and into life forevermore. And so I pray for every man and woman with their hand raised that as they say, Jesus, we need you to set us free. We pray that you would come and do the instant work of cutting the knots, the entanglement of their hearts and minds. And I also pray, Spirit of God, that you would give them the courage to take steps towards communities of healing. Would you continue to outwork that which you have begun tonight? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.